RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. It's Wednesday morning on RCR, and that is our Legal Hub morning. As I always say now, a lot happens in the law, and uh, we find out something new every time we talk with Katie Ashby-Coppins and Nick Kearney, who joined me. Good morning, you two. Nice to have you back. Morning. Morning, Katie. Morning, Paul. Okay. I think it's never a dull moment in the law, is what I say. I'm remembered now. All right. So... Let's get into it. We've got um, three things to talk about this morning. And the first one is kind of has me interested. Relationship property <laughs> when there was three. What's all that about? Three? <laughs> so the Supreme Court has uh, issued a decision um, holding uh, and deciding, uh, not unanimously, but by majority, that uh, in a polyamorous relationship where there were uh, a man and two women, and the man and one of the women was married, and the other two women were involved in a relationship as well. Uh, they were together. Well, wait, wait on, you're going too fast for me already. <laughs> so there were okay. three, two women, a man. Living in the same house together. The man and the woman are married, but the two women are also in a relationship. Wow. Okay. You got. You got it. Yeah. And the There's unmarried not... woman has the ha- owns the house or has oh, the house in her name. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. The unmarried woman. The, the yeah. Yeah. So the the woman who was not married to the man. Um. And, and I have no idea what their personal pronouns are, by the way. Okay. But, it, but anyway, uh, one, two, and three. Who, <laughs> the woman who was not married to the man owned the house, and they'd lived. These three had lived together in the house for fifteen years. A house was worth a couple of million dollars by the by the looks of it, according to the judgment. Um, the there was a separation, and uh, the husband and the wife uh, separated. Uh, and I think the husband might have moved out, and the wife might have moved out too. But the lady who actually owned the house, whose whose name was in it on on the title, she stayed living in the house. Uh, long story short, um, after this has happened in two thousand seventeen, so six years later. The Supreme Court has ruled that, in fact, for the purposes of being in a relationship under the Property Relationships Act, uh, um, there were two relationships here. There was the husband and wife who were married, uh, and there were the uh, two girls who were in a relationship while living in the house together for 15 years as well. They were also in a relationship according to the law, because you can be in a relationship uh, under the you know, under the law, but not be married, obviously, for for the division of relationship property. Yeah. Um. And uh, and that's what uh, that's what the court held. And they didn't really uh, go into the depth of well, you know, if there's a house worth two million dollars and there's two um, relationships, um, how they're all divided up. But they, I guess, each party could sue each other. Uh, to try and claim a share of uh, the house owned by the lady who was in it. So quite an unusual situation. Uh, two, In fact, two judges in the Supreme Court, must have been a bench of five, two judges dissented and said this is not uh, right. It would bring um, unequitable outcomes, I think, as as the wording, uh, the, the wording that was used. And they said it was actually a matter for Parliament to resolve uh, rather than for the court. Um, because, of course, you know, over, well, over my whole legal career, 20 plus years, I've seen a lot of relationship uh, breakups and marriages, and it's always really only been a couple, a man and a woman or two men yeah. and two women. Or two this women. can't be common. 
this configuration? No, this, well, it's not common, and it's the first time it's obviously come to the court, um, and and certainly the first time it got to the Supreme Court, and they ruled there were two couples. Uh, and uh, sorry, three couples. Yes, yeah, three couples. <laughs> Um, and so, um, but interestingly, one of the dissenting judges uh, was uh, Susan Glazebrook, who is the, uh, is she the Chief Justice of the, no, she's not, that's, that's not, she's not Chief Justice. But Susan Glazebrook um, uh, has, uh, she was the judge in the, um, in the Alice case that decided that the uh, parties should bring arguments of tikanga to the court. Ah, we've yeah. talked about that before. Yeah, so, okay. so she's yeah. quite she's quite a yes. uh, activist, liberal, quite judge, um, to be honest. And for her to say that this is a stretch too far for even her, <laughs> I, I, tells I you something. Tells yeah. you something. Correct. Yeah. So just be careful, dear listeners, if you're living with a you know two or three others in some sort of. Um, Multifaceted relationship. Yeah, you might be able to. You might have to give away two thirds of what you have, not just half. It's interesting how some people live, isn't it? Um, you know what? Good for them. Oh no, fine, fine for that. And they hung in for fifteen years. That's not yeah. bad. No, hundred percent good for them. Um, do whatever they, they want. That makes them happy. That's, that's my attitude. But um, there are legal ramifications for some of your choices, as um, as we're finding out now. Yeah. Hmm. When the judge or or it said that Parliament should sort it out, that requires what changing legislation to accommodate that. Is is that what that means? Obviously, great. Yeah. That would be great. changing legislation. Okay, uh, and I wonder how they're all doing at the moment. <laughs> Try and get an interview. <laughs> yeah, well, six years down, I'm sure that whatever value that they probably had in the house is long long dissipated. Yeah, well, okay, mm. that's a point. Hmm. All right. Well, that's an interesting one. I didn't think we'd get hit with that on, on Legal Hub, that kind of configuration. All right. What's the story about $10 billion? That seems like an eye-watering amount to me in subsidies overpaid. Fletcher's is an example. Overpaid $10 billion? This is the COVID stuff, right? Is that what we're talking about? Well, I don't want to uh, cast uh, listeners' mind back to that awful period of lockdowns when we had COVID, but of course, um, this is the result, I guess, uh, of that. And in fact, it's the result of, um, I would certainly be confident to say, extremely poor legislation and extremely poor, uh, poorly thought out policy. Uh, at the time, the government, if you remember, they they locked us all down, locked all businesses down, said you've got to shut, you can't trade, and you know nobody could go out. And their businesses obviously rely on people buying their product, whatever businesses is, and there's no one around to buy their products, and they had to pay their staff. So the government said, well, that's an awful thing we've done to you. Sorry, you you can't survive for uh, the, the time of the lockdown. What we'll do is we'll give you um, some money through a wage subsidy so you can at least pay some of the wages for your staff. Uh, that'll keep you going for a certain period of time. And um, I remember at the time I was working in a law firm and we got we got the forms and we had to read through them and, and to figure out three or four pages, I think it was, uh, at the time. And we had to figure out, well, do do we qualify uh, according to what, you know, the, um, the ministry or, or the government has said uh, the rules are to meet this wage subsidy? And I remember 
clearly there were two or three uh, lawyers um, in our firm sitting down trying to read the guidelines and the requirements, and we, we actually couldn't figure it out. It was, it was just too difficult. Um, to, to, too difficult to give it any, any clarity, at least, to any certainty. And at the bottom of it was, of course, the statutory declaration that, well, you know, what, you know, you complete this form and it's all true and correct, and, you know, what you're saying is true and correct and whatever else. Now, some of these business owners, uh, you know, not some, probably a very large majority, were under extreme pressure, extreme pressure at the time, um, forced overnight without any consultation or any warning to shut their business and to stop their income and to pay to stop their mortgage payments, stop their you know income completely overnight. I remember talking to a um, a person who was a distributor. Uh, I guess uh, he worked for Fonterra, and they distributed. Um, Fonterra products around um, my area uh, to cafes, restaurants, and dairies. Uh, milk, butter, cream, etc. Um, of course, when you shut off and close down cafes and restaurants and dairies um, at the whim, bang, overnight with no warning and no consultation, they all cancelled their orders. They said, we don't need your milk, we don't need your cream, we don't need your butter, we don't, you know, all the cafes that had ordered the pre-ordered food, the muffins and the stuff that go in the cabinet, no, they are all cancelled too. Okay, don't need that anymore because we're shut now for six weeks. We can't sell anything. Uh, but my, you know, the guy I was talking to uh, still had to pay Fonterra for ordering it, right? So they knocked on his door and said, well, a month later, I said, well, we, 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 we've uh, had our invoice for 700 grand. All the stuff you ordered from us last week, where's your money? And of course, he, he gets that from his cafes and restaurants, and um, and they never paid him. They just cancelled their orders. So this was all done on such a whim with no thought, and the, and the production line and the economy was never really given any thought. These sorts of issues were never given any thought to at all. Um, it was all about health, of course, and to help the businesses out because the government's here to help, as we all know. Uh, they gave them a wage subsidy to pay, at least pay the wages while we put the rest of your business through the mill. Uh, and... Um, as I say, the forms were very hard to to figure out, very hard to to calculate, uh, and now uh, and people were left were really left with no option but to to fill them out and take the government money. Uh, otherwise, you know, the the lives were ruined. They'd be even more ruined, I suppose, if they could be. Uh, and now the government's looking at um, digging all of these declarations out and saying, "Well, actually, we're coming after you now because we think some of you might have claimed it wrongly." You see, and um, there's a there was an ad on the radio during the week that I heard by an outfit called the Integrity Institute, and they were pleading for people to go on their website and sign the petition to uh, force the government to start suing all these businesses to get their ten but ten billion dollars back that they thought that they the Integrity Institute thought had been illegally overpaid uh, through the wage subsidy. I don't know what evidence they have to know that it's illegally overpaid, but they were pleading to you know for us to do this because. Otherwise, taxpayers are going to have to foot the bill. So that's where that's at. And now, Fletcher's, I see, uh, there's an article in the paper. Uh, Fletcher's uh, have been, you know, they've been um, uh, pleaded with, I suppose, to pay back, is it 67 million or something in their wage subsidy? Uh, because they've just now produced a profit of 480 million or whatever it might be. And gee, you can afford it, you should pay it back. Well, maybe they should, uh, but my point is that if the government passes a law and says, if you meet those requirements, you can get this money, and Fletch has met those requirements and we're entitled to the money, 
then um, you know I don't think there should be any you know real uh, obligation for them to pay it back any more than it should be for the uh, owners, the the owners of the of the corner dairy or the petrol station or the cafes or the hairdressing salon or the butcher shops or whoever else uh, were forced to forced to shut down, forced to take the money, and now at the at the end of it, it looks like being forced to have to repay some of it. Presumably, they signed the same form as you were talking about before. Even a yes. business like Fletcher's, right? Yes, I think it was. I think it was um, a pro forma. Yeah. So, so they would have had what more confidence in signing that? Did you guys end up signing it? Yes. Okay. So they could come for you or that other firm. You never know. Yes. yes. Uh, another question too. Did it need to be that loosey goosey? Okay, you said it was rushed and everything, but surely there are standard ways, even in a rush of framing things and thinking of all the the moving parts and doing a better job because it kind of sounds like a setup in a way. I mean, you you, you might think that you want some of that money back later because it's a big spend, wasn't it? And, and now you've look, got an army of people did. going through going through them all to see what they can claw back. I've interviewed a person on the station who was in that very situation and mm-hmm. he he was bewildered. He thought he had done everything right. And next thing he knows, he's trying to sell his business because he can't afford to pay back the debt. Now, surely anyone with any sort of nous could have foreseen that. Correct. And look, they, they did. Like There was also the loans and things like that, which had a 3% um, interest rate, which uh, I think sat beside these subsidies, but now the IRD is enforcing the repayment of those, uh, and you know businesses are really struggling to meet that cost, particularly in the hospitality industry where they've got no workers, not uh, they don't have any tourists or tourism, and it's been a very slow return to those bigger centres um, as people return to the office or not. Um, you know, mm. the, lock, the lockdowns were a significant period of time in Australia and New Zealand, and that is years of loss of business opportunity. So it does seem quite selective as to who they're going after. But what kind of uh, answer is this that Robinson gave, uh, which was, of course, people can look at themselves in the mirror and decide if they're performing better than expected and whether they should pay it back. Um you know, shouldn't there be encouragement to pay it back if they have done it better? Um, but, you know, business is business, commerce is commerce. So um, are they going to think um, emotively or are they going to think like the bottom line? Well, we know the answer to that substantially. Well, maybe maybe, maybe we should be saying to Grant Robertson, well, yeah, maybe he should be looking in the mirror and saying, actually, did we do the right thing two and a half years ago? Mm. You know? Uh, and the thing is, the thing is, I mean, you know, I had a friend who had a small retail shop, and uh, she was forced to shut down instantly, and you know, had uh, no other option uh, but to. Well, she applied, you know, for the uh, for the wage subsidies and filled the forms in, as I understand it, sort of uh, one day, and the money appeared in her bank account the next day. I can tell you that it's a tough time for small retail at the moment, right? So. Uh, you know, we've got uh, rising interest rates. We've got, uh, you know, huge inflation, uh, record inflation, um, middle class struggling to even meet their mortgage payments. They're all coming out off the back of uh, of COVID lockdowns and, and that sort of uh, economic um, mess, I suppose, or disruption. 
Uh, we're in a recession as well. You know, With a yes, little we R. are. Let's not just forget that. What's that, Katie? With a little R. Oh, a little R, yep, yeah. A little but R. we know it's not a little R. Just look at the price of eggs. That's what yeah. I say. Next week, next week, I think we've got uh, petrol tax coming back on uh, as well. So that adds 30% to your petrol bill. Yeah. We've got all of these things now um, in play and and we've got the states turning around to the very same people that it claimed it was trying to help two years ago through its forced lockdowns, uh, now trying to get the money back uh, from these people. And I, I find it, uh, uh, well, upsetting and, 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 and bordering on repugnant, to be honest. And I've had quite a few calls um, at, at my office from distressed business owners saying that they've received a letter from the IRD, you know, he has to... Uh, they want me to appear in court. They're issuing me with a summons to appear in court in two weeks. What do I do? Et cetera, et cetera. Wow. They, haven't got, they haven't got the money. And they thought they, you know, thought genuinely and honestly that they were claiming it properly in the first place, you know. Uh, and it's just it's just wrong. It's so wrong. Uh, and so I think, you know, to take it back to, to what Mr. Robertson said, yeah, someone should be looking in the mirror, but it's not the business owners. So do we put it down to incompetence? I would say it's incompetence, not spending their own money um, and extending it for a period far beyond um, what it ever needed to. Um, And realistically, it was already known as at the times or similar or or very close to the lockdown um, in March 2020, um, what they were looking at. And yet there was a, a choice not to, you know, be realistic about the data that they were seeing. And isn't it the case that the government can borrow at the lowest possible interest rate? Because I'm sure this was borrowed money somewhere along the line. And to then charge 3% to people who are in desperate need of money, that's exploitative, isn't it? I couldn't tell you about that. I mean, did they borrow it from China on instant on interest free? Who knows? I don't know where you go to well, if you're a country looking for money, or whether you just print it yourself. Well, you can print it thanks to our money talk person, Farzan, that it comes out of thin air substantially. But that's a point, isn't it? You should not be leveraging people in a desperate situation to make money on that situation. Well, I wouldn't have thought anyway. What do I know? Well, 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 the Labor government, they, they're backed by the unions who are meant to be against all this stuff, to be honest. You know what I mean? Um, so it's, it is, as I say, it's sickening and, and upsetting. And I I mean, sure, there have been cases, you know, and I, and I read them in the paper and I read them, the, the, the cases coming out of the courts. Uh, people have pleaded guilty to fraud for taking money when they knew they should. I mean, but these were people who invented businesses, invented companies. Yeah, that's exist. that's fair enough to, yeah, to and, do and them. Then, correct, correct. And then basically invented that a business existed, you know, with fake letterheads and what have you to claim to claim money, uh, yes, they should be going to jail, 100%. But, but by and large, and I can guarantee that, you know, 95 to 5 rule applies here, where, where 95% of the population um, are honest, hardworking, deserve to be cut, cut, uh, given, you know, cut some slack. And there might be 5% or a bit less who are perhaps a little bit devious. But the government, you know, going after 95%, and that's just the ordinary mums and dads who are trying to get through life and pay the mortgage, put the kids through school and run their business. Uh, and now they're being whacked over the head with uh, with letters to go to court and bits and pieces. It's, it's, it's deeply troubling, to be fair. Can you push back against it, like from a legal 
position? Could you make a case saying, actually, the way you've put this together is entrapment or something like that? The ones that I've assisted with on the loans, um, the IRD is being extremely unreasonable and those businesses are going to the wall. Um, As to the seeking the return of the amounts that they received, uh, I can't, I haven't dealt with anyone on that on that level yet. Have you, Nick? No. Okay. But the so um, if, if I, they do start coming in, then it would be a good argument. The law was the law at the time. Your system was completely incompetent. Your processes were atrocious. Um, there was multiple ways that you could have skinned the cat. Um, a client I had, he did a job that he got paid thirty five dollars a week. Right. <laughs> on, a, on a subsidy, and so. Where does that where does that balance? And there's also the way it was written, because as I say, the interview that I had, if he was being straight up, I think he was, and I think he read out aspects of the thing he signed. It really was ambiguous language. Well, we're, we're, I think what's worse, there were absolutely a government in the, the ministry, whatever ministry it was, that, that um, I guess IRD was it was it um, in, was it the um, Ministry of Social Development, they might have handed the money out, yeah. They were doing the subsidy, and then the IID was doing the loan, and I'm the not loan. sure of what that interaction is between the two and whether or not the subsidy did become the loan at some stage. Mm. There's absolutely no uh, there's no checking of the information, I can, I can assure you of that, because, you know, I say my wife had a small retail shop. She applied for um, a small wage subsidy and the IID loan, and she pushed transmit on her, you know, Apple laptop one night and then was in the bank the next day. Yeah, literally, you know. So there was there was no checking on any of this. Uh, you could almost claim contributory negligence in some way, couldn't you? I suppose, Katie, saying, "Well, you never checked any of this. You, you, you're partly to blame for the mess that you're now in, perhaps." Well, I think, yeah, I don't, I'm not even sure if malfeasance in public office might even yeah. get that high. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's it's certainly in in that area. I mean, it was as if all of the um, wishes had come at once, and they just got to empty out the quaffers and they were just carrying on like they were the candy store owner. Have a, wow. have a bag of this. The candy and that's bag. Not what, that's not <laughs> what a government should be doing at a time of situations of uh, like these. I don't know whether they were sort of caught up in the massive fear that was generated from it or whether or not they thought they were doing the right thing, but it's pretty incredible. Well, they obviously think now that they weren't doing the right thing substantially. Otherwise, we wouldn't be going going after people for it. Pretty hard to write a budget when you've got that massive debt. Wow. Okay. Well, let's, let's all process that. Let's get on to our, one of our more favourite topics because it kind of laps up against what we do. Mis and disinformation, new powers in Australia. Um, I think I read out the Epoch Times story that covered this yesterday on RCR. And uh, I think that was um, framed around the large platforms like uh, Facebook, Meta, and um, and Twitter being in the gun potentially for horrendous fines for breaching a whole bunch of, of subjective concepts of what is mis- and disinformation decided by who knows who. So, Katie, you might want to yeah, um, sure. elaborate on that. This one's interesting. I guess the mis- and disinformation laws coming to the shores near you 
Um, and I think we can, we already talked about what's happened in Ireland um, and the rate at which their mis and disinformation laws are being passed through in a huge majority of the government. Um, similarly, in Australia, we've got some pretty incredible uh, laws. Yet another um, uh, organisation, sorry, agency being established to combat this mis and disinformation. Um, and in Australia, they're looking for feedback. That feedback looks like it's lining up quite similar to the one in New Zealand. And it really is a huge new wheel um, that will be rolling over allegedly only platforms and platform providers um, where people share information, not necessarily a platform where information only goes one way, um, but that platform will be required to do multiple things such as keep records on certain matters, uh, develop codes of practice covering measures, um, allow the um, new agency uh, to create and enforce industry standards should a code of practice be deemed ineffective in combating the mis and disinformation on the digital platform. Um, and then we've got fines in the level of 2.75 million at tier one, or tier two, I think, is getting up to 6.8 million. Um, very large and yeah. it also raises the questions of if that particular digital platform is not within the jurisdiction of the country in which the laws exist how do they then uh, enforce that you know if Twitter was set up in the Cayman Islands and the uh, laws there are very different but um, it would have to be I would suspect and it certainly feels like it a global um, approach to management of Myths and disinformation, those great subjective words that I am still waiting to learn what they mean. Hmm. And what is a platform in well, the, the end? The definition of platform is a place where two or more people can share information was the uh, definition uh, of platform. So your Twitters, um, potentially your Substacks, um, if people are giving comments on your Substacks, um, <laughs> this is crazy. Facebook uh, would certainly be in that realm. Um, uh, Instagram. Um, Political blogs, surely. I imagine anywhere where you can where you can provide feedback or share your thoughts. It's all about stopping people talking to each other again. This is the common thread. It's definitely similar rules from the same plane playbook being applied differently mm. so, so i wonder if you had a uh, a political blog uh you know and you and, and you just turn the comments off and all you did was write on it and you didn't allow people to comment on you'd probably be okay wouldn't you because based on the definition of platform yeah. subject to that definition flowing yeah. through to the legislation in both australia and new zealand mm. yes mm. but to be forced to do that is ridiculous yeah well, I mean, there's a, I guess just thinking out loud here, um, of course, with regulation and with rules and with, you know, all this work that's going to be required to be done by these platforms in, 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 in various countries around the world, um, I wouldn't have thought these platforms are going to do that without some kind of uh, reward or, or something. So I can see if it's going to cost Facebook, for example, 
uh, tens of millions of dollars or potentially more to put all these rules in place in New Zealand, that they'll either say, well, we're not going to, we're going to shut down New Zealand, or they'll say, well, if you want to use Facebook, uh, it's going to cost you $10 a year in New Zealand or 20 right. bucks a year, right? Hmm. Uh, to get some money back for all, all the, uh, the, I mean, if they're potentially up for, you know, what were the fines there, Katie? Um, millions. Uh, in Australia, um, the tier one fine was uh, 2.75 million. Yeah. million. And the tier two fine with the second tier of regulation will see ACMA, um, which almost should be called ACME. Wasn't that the. Um, that was always the, the cartoons. Um, yeah, Roadrunner. It was always oh, yeah, exactly. It's that much of a joke. Um, uh, ACMA itself can create and enforce industry standards that will attract even higher penalties of six point eight million. Yeah, I mean, I just did a quick Google search how many uh, Facebook users are there in the world, and apparently it's two point nine five uh, billion, or let's say three billion uh, monthly users on Facebook. So you've only got to charge them five dollars a year, don't you? You know what I mean? So, well, we've actually been regulated. And this, and I say this because, uh, you know, I, I attended uh, a webinar last weekend on the same uh, topic um, uh, in New Zealand, and it was put on by the DIA. And what was it called? It was called... Um, Safety Online or something. Yeah, sa Safer Online Services and Media Platforms. Our proposals to regulate online services and media platforms in New Zealand. Here comes that word safe again, Paul. You love that yeah, word, see, you? that's yeah. always yeah. that's always used. They're trying that's to keep your, us that's safe. That's your, your yeah. fire alarm going off right yeah. there. Yeah, they're trying mm. to keep us safe, Paul. Because here's the thing. This is why it's all BS. Because the biggest promoters and distributors and generators of mis- and disinformation, we know who they are. The media and the government. Yeah. And the <laughs> – Yeah. I mean, so so what was quite clear, and um, it, it came out because I asked the uh, presenter of the webinar on the weekend the question, uh, as the webinar you know um, ran it ran down time, it became clear. I said to him, "Look," um, and I typed this question into the into the box. Um, goodness, uh, just you know, if, if I'm interacting with him, would that webinar through DIA have to be subject to the code of conduct in the future? Probably would, wouldn't it? It would. Yeah, there we go. So anyway, um, I said, look, it, it's quite clear. How, how are you going to um, enforce and codes of conduct and regulate these platforms that are all owned offshore? Spotify is in Sweden, owned by a Sweden billionaire, uh, you know, Musk with Twitter, Facebook with Zuckerberg in America, uh, whatever, whatever. I um, don't know about Telegram or other ones, but how are you going to do it offshore uh, because um, doesn't it won't it require a global effort? And he admitted that's exactly what's going to require. It's going to require global rules and global um, uh, cooperation to put these codes in place on these platforms. Mm. And that's what we're seeing, right? We're seeing. You mentioned Ireland. We've got Australia, UK, us. We're going to be following along. It's seems to be a bit sort of coordinated. Again. Yeah. Enough, hey? Just a coincidence, right? The different roles from the same playbook. Does that mean even us doing this could be seen? Arguably. As, 
Um, and look, it could be why you can also see now that in, in during Zoom calls, they're now able to convert the text um, and what's said to transcript. Yeah, right. It makes who it much easier that? to, well, yeah, who, gets that? who does get that, you know? This is getting ridiculous. The pendulum is swinging very far to one side and it is going to require all of us to act collectively to get that pendulum back to a level of sanity. I don't hear any of the, um, speaking of the subject we're talking about before, that's included as well. I don't hear any of the business-friendly opposition or the freedom-loving opposition even bloody talking about this. I don't know that I've heard an opposition act like an opposition um, for quite some time. So I don't know where they've gone. Um, It would seem like it would be a very uh, easy soapbox to stand on. um, And yet, you know, where are they? Well, there can only be two ways to explain that. Here's me always going on. But either they're ignorant of it and don't rate it and kind of go together. Or they know this suits them too, potentially. Who knows? Which mean, well, the, the other political, let's say National Party, okay, an act uh, in the New Zealand context, let's say they get the numbers, form a government, they're going to be happy to have these tools too. Of course. They don't relinquish power if they don't or, or, or don't need to. You know, the extension of the COVID-19 legislation to... Uh, emergency powers under the COVID legislation extended to November 2024. Why relinquish it if you got it? Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is you can't rely on the conventional checks and balances and pushbacks. No, you can't. Not at the moment. So what do we do? I think we need to appreciate that um, everyone can have a different view when it comes to mis- and disinformation. It really doesn't um, uh, well, whatever that might be, it really doesn't change anything at the end of the day. You can have your view, I can have my view. Um, sticks and stones may break bones, but words won't hurt me. Um, I think that's probably got to ring pretty damn true. But the taking away of the ability to even talk about these kinds of things um, it, it is really concerning. And we've only had a rise in mis- disinformation uh, since 2020. Um, and, you know, it's now a, 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 one of the biggest concerns for New Zealanders based on the um, SIS report that was produced late last year. Uh, That's only because it was shoved down our throats for three years. No one would have known this or disinformation prior to March 2020. Um, Not in the extent that we've got it now. It's just another one of those global uh, descriptions that has gone viral. Well, one thing that we know is that there's going to be I'm pretty sure, increasing reflection by people who might not be doing it now, but will be on that period of time. And there's going to be a certain amount of accountability demanded. It's coming. I don't care what anyone says. It will, whatever form, it will happen. The way to limit that and to shut that down is to enact regimes like this. Yeah, absolutely. To protect your ass, forgive my French. Correct. And I encourage everybody to get in uh, and uh, prepare submissions to the um, New Zealand um, media online and content regulation. That's due on the 31st of March, uh, sorry, 31st of July, 2023. Um, I know that we will be really active in producing uh, information um, uh, for people to be aware of. 
I think that the uh, um, freedom, um, sorry, the free speech union in New Zealand has certainly uh, got a lot to say in this area. And it is a case of uh, all working together. Um, and, you know, the more submissions, you know, email your MPs, tell them this is nonsense and that you can't um, even begin to comprehend how they're going to, one, regulate, let alone enforce it. Uh, and what's it going to do? Who's it going to get? It's not going to get those big organisations. It's not going to get the government. It's not going to get the media. It's going to get everybody else. And that's what they've got in their, in, in their crosshairs. Wouldn't it be your Sorry, but Sorry. wouldn't it be your duty, moral duty, if this was imposed, to not comply? Wouldn't it be? Well, I don't think that option will be available because the, the, the platforms, let's say Facebook, for example, will be required to put in a code of conduct, if that's the way to put it, and will have to have a huge plethora of uh, you know, um, security measures, if that's the word, to take down information. So the only way to not comply is to not to use the platform. It's to say, well, then stuff you, Facebook. If I'm going to write something like, you know, that the vac, the vax just injures people, don't take it, and you're going to take it down, and we can't, and we can't have a Facebook page that says don't take the vaccine, and you're going to shut that down too, and you're going to report us, and otherwise, if you don't, you're going to, um, you, you, you're going to get fined five million dollars, and you don't want to be. So I understand that, but. You're going to shut us down. What's that going to lead to? It's going to lead to a dark web. It's going to lead to almost an underground, or you know, uh, of, of internet um, hmm. uh, internet uh, platforms and bits and pieces like we've got with um, we have at the moment. So, I mean, I, I, you know, it's these things always sometimes can have perverse outcomes, right? And I mean, I go as far to say that actually we're becoming, we're going to become, and we are becoming a very very sanitised uh, society, a very sanitised world where you can't say anything for fear of someone not feeling safe or being upset. And, um, you know, I'd go as far to say that we actually, people almost have an obligation to be upset uh, and to be offended uh, because that's how they kind of build resilience and build counter arguments back to what was put at them. And, we're kind of stopping that at the border with stuff like this. And I just think it's very, very bad for society um, and the country as a whole and the world even. But I guess what, what listeners could perhaps do is I don't know where we could share the link for some of them who want to tune into this webinar. There's another one on July the 8th. So maybe we could uh, share the link somewhere, Paul. Um, we'll try and figure that out. Yeah, yeah. And you know, anybody can sign up for it. Anybody can listen to it. And you can ask questions within the webinar itself as well. So the more I think Katie's did right, these kind of movements start from the ground up and they almost have to be revolutions, I think. And that's where we need to sort of be on our, I think, be on our toes um, now to try and stop. You know, this guy on the weekend said it could be two to four years away of actually putting this code of conduct in place maybe even longer it's going to take a long time and what have you um well we need to start the work kind of now to prevent yeah. you know the, the bad news in, in, in two to four years time all right do we have anything more to say about that uh no but i can tell you where you can go to have a look the um eventbrite.com is running the events um or looks like they're selling the key uh, the the tickets if there's tickets they're essentially organizing the bookings it's called Safer Online Services and Media Platforms. It's uh, by the, I'll call it the Department of Eternal Affairs. And 
you would be able to easily search that, but we will ensure that um, a link is put up, even if it's just with the uh, Facebook and replay posts that we uh, share on platforms. Yes. Well, I guess if people text in and we read the text and they're listening, we're a platform because we're both talking to each other, kind of. Uh, Yes, that is arguable based on the definition. Um, And look, we also appreciate the definitions can change just like that. Yeah. And I think actually, if I'm just remembering back to what uh, the presenter said on the weekend, and I think I have this right, um, he said, he was asked a question about where does the uh, advertising standard authority on BSA fit into the new regime? And he said they would be merged into into one, so they'd all, they'd all kind of form together, I think that's what he said. Um, so you would no longer have an ASA or a BSA that all form under this platform regulator uh, for online content. That is fascinating because the broad uh, broadcasting standards would have to be applied to media organisations as it would to um, platforms if that's going to be the case. Yeah, so don't quote me on that. Now, I remember listening to that question thinking, well, this would be interesting to see what, what, what the proposal is here. Uh and there's only two options. I'll stay independent or they'll merge. Uh, mm. And I, I thought from memory he said they would merge, but I, as I say, I could have it wrong. Mm, that will be most um, inconvenient to the to the Broadcasting Standards, the Media Council and the um, Advertising Standards Authority. Couldn't happen to nicer people. But he could have also said they stay independent. Mm, interesting. <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. it's a can of worms. Um, it sure is. No doubt something that we could probably spend more time on than tikanga. We could um, claim tikanga in this, couldn't we? I'm sure you could. Okay. Be, there has to be a, a, a Maori principle there somewhere that says we you know, we can be offended and we can say really what, what we want somewhere, surely. Start digging around for it now. Yeah. Oral tradition. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, we used to talk to each other, so therefore. <laughs> okay, well, I think that's it, is it? And we've come to the end of another legal hub. Still curious about that relationship. Are you thinking of trying it? <laughs> no. No, <laughs> okay. no, I don't. In my dreams, no. Okay. I just wonder how it worked, given what I know about relationships. Well, it looks yeah, like well, it went the, all right for 15 years. 15 yeah, no, years, I, I, I think yeah. great. I mean, well done. Well, you're not talking six months, we're talking 15 years of happiness. Yeah. Yeah. Good. To the power of three. <laughs> All right. Thanks, Nick Kearney and Katie Ashby Coppins for another Legal Hub. We'll do it again in a week's time. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Thanks Nick. Thanks, Paul. Thanks, Katie. Bye-bye. RCR with Paul Brennan. Reality Check Radio.